Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. In this bonus episode, continuing on, I have Tom as my guest. Tom is my spouse of nearly 40 years. In a few weeks, we'll be celebrating our 40th anniversary. In 1993, when we were married for 13 years, Tom had a serious brain infection, encephalitis. It affected various parts of his brain with the most dramatic insults to his memory and executive functioning. When he realized he was no longer able to continue working, he knew he had to continue on to have as productive a day and life as was possible. He discovered oil painting, or maybe it discovered him. We will never know exactly how that happened. We've tried to figure it out, but there we were one day. He was working diligently at learning how to paint. He shares with me on this podcast why painting mattered to him and why it continues to do so even today. Though we do not talk about ALS in this episode, it's an important mention. If he followed the trajectory of ALS that most people with the disease do, I'd be talking to myself today. I'd be telling you about who he was and not who he is. In 2010, he was diagnosed with service-connected ALS which is unrelated to the infection, the brain infection that he had, but related to his military service. He served in the United States Marine Corps from 1972 to 1975, and veterans have, uh, are more than twice as likely to have ALS than non-veterans. ALS is a terminal disease in which most people live two to five years post-diagnosis. So every anniversary for us is a gift. And today, I share just a little bit of my gift in life with our listeners. When did you begin painting, Tom? Do you remember? Yeah, do you remember when? You mean the date wise or somewhere around 1992 or 3? I'm not sure. Could be 94. 94 and 95. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, you had a couple of false starts with painting. Yeah, I did. Well, not really false starts, but you, you attempted to learn with somebody else. Yeah. A few different people. You tried to learn on your own a little bit. Yes. Do you remember the first book that you read about it? Not painting per se, but art, visual art. Drawing on the right side of your brain. Oh yeah, that's right, drawing on the right side of your brain. Well, because the way I thought of it was that, um, I'm sort of like a fundamentalist, you know, because I think that if you you, um, go back far enough that uh, to be a painter, in in my mind, the way I'm untrained, the way I thought of it was that if you're going to be a painter, 
then you, there are things that precede that. You have to know how to use a pencil. You have to be able to draw something. I didn't know what I was talking about. I was inventing it as I went along. I didn't know that that's either right or wrong. Can you be a painter and not be able to draw? I, I don't know. Maybe. So, and of course, there was no internet in those days, so we had to go to bookstores. And we went to a bookstore, Barnes & Noble, big one in New Jersey, so you go down there, and there's it's it's an art center that is just must be 4,000 books in, uh, you know, on art and painting, you know, photographs of paintings and stuff in there. So it was great. It was like going to a library, updated, modernized library. And in there was the book Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. And I guess I was lucky enough to come to run across it. And in there she describes the right chamber and the left chamber of the brain. What, what controls your, your ability to draw is the right side of your brain. And she tells you how to access the right side of your brain. She gives you a method of doing it. So I did it. I studied the method. I practiced the method. And it, it works. It definitely works. And if you were, uh, you know, monastic about it, you could, you could study it for, you know, a year and watch the progress of your own drawings. Which, which, which you did. Which I did. Which she, you did. She yeah. success, suggests using um, your own hand as a model. Like, just put your hand on the table and start drawing. And you move the tip of the pencil across the paper just as you move your eye. So every millimeter that you move your eye, you move the pencil as if they were connected, somehow mechanically connected. You know, with nuts and bolts and levers and stuff. And, you just, that's what you do. You keep doing that. And then you will. You, you'll trip into your right hemisphere. And it's, it's so easy to be distracted and get pulled out of your right hemisphere. But it does work. And, and you do get results. And so that, to me, that was like a learning tool to realize that that's a method that could be used. Well, let's talk a little bit about why, you know, how art came into your life. Um, that's, we don't often on this Caregiver Life podcast, in fact, I guess we never did, except for maybe an interview that you and I did. We did a chat a while ago. But we don't have care recipients on the podcast because it's called This Caregiver Life, so we really talk about caregivers. But we wouldn't be a caregiver if we weren't caring for somebody. And so I've cared for you all of these years since 1993, though... Admittedly, I didn't even know I was a caregiver then. I never even thought about it. It would be two decades before I even considered that I was a caregiver. You know, because you just get on with life. There's a lot of things to do. When somebody is, something happens terribly to somebody, tragically, that they need to have a caregiver, which is what happened to you. You had a brain infection. And kind of like an explosion in your brain with all of these, this bacteria having their way in your brain and what was left after that? Since we can't really see inside your brain and the diagnostic tools weren't even as good as they are today, but still there's a lot of things that happen in our brain long after things like infections or traumatic brain injuries. And we don't, we don't really know what that's gonna be for somebody. So you and I were left on our own to try to figure things out, but you more than me, because it was your brain. And so art came to you. Why did art come to you? Not just art, but painting, drawing, painting. Can you remember that far back? Well, 
Well, as uh, it was a crescendo and a crash, and then when all the dust settled, I had to do something. I had to do something for myself personally to become, to be something. And then trailing quite closely behind that was, you know, the image that my children would have of me as a guy who was a very poor memory, uh, inability to make a decision because it's just too much information coming into the scatterbrain issue problem that I had. And so I had to do something. I had to learn a skill. And I'm not 100 percent sure why it was painting. I mean what what else would it be? I mean the list of things you I couldn't do would be extremely long. So how did it get to be painting? I can't even, I'm not sure I can tell you how it got to be painting, but once I was interested in painting, then you, know, you start to peel out on it and you go back little by little and you see what, what was available, how did you do it, you know? Because like I say, it's very difficult without the internet in those days to find artwork to, to, to go look at. Mm -hmm. was a, there was a, a place close to the house to get it out of the farm and go to the gift store and stuff. And in there, he had some paintings, which I even guess now, now with the knowledge that I have now, where would a, where would an, a painter sell her paintings? Mm -hmm. How do you do that you know, in a gallery somewhere? If you're not in the gallery system, how do you do it? So that's what was in there. There was a couple of paintings hanging on the walls which fueled my interest again. Very good, very nice painting, still lifes. And then somehow we found, uh, we went out in the car and we found a, uh, an art gallery. It might have been a, a notice in a newspaper, maybe that so-and-so was going to have an art show or something like that. And that's, um, that's, where, that's where I found out about this painter, Dean Walsh. He's painting about four paintings on the walls. And of the many paintings, and I did maybe might have been 80 or 100 paintings on the wall, those four paintings were the ones that I was interested in. They seemed to have been done by the same painter. And of course, at the time, I didn't know that what was attractive about it was the, the chiaroscuro look of the painting, where she was turning a form. Now, I didn't know it was a woman. I just knew it was a V. I thought it was Victor or Vincent Walsh. That um, this person who was painting was turning a form. The light was falling on the piece of uh, the flesh of the plum, the, the orangey type glow coming out of the deep purple skin of a plum, having a quarter section sliced out and laying on a table. And it was just, it was just total. Uh, I didn't know what to say. Like it was Rembrandt. It was so unbelievably different than anything you ever see. It was you could tell it was a trained person that painted this, that knew what they were doing. And if I can go so far as I would say, it looked like it was a passionate look to the to the viewer. Well, it was beautiful. And so I asked the woman that ran the place, "Who who is this person that did this? Can you put me in contact with her?" And um, she didn't want to do it. I think. For two reasons, I think she, I think she knew that the painter was a woman, Virginia, and I was a man. So it could have been a scam. Oh, true. 
And the other one is that I think that she was thinking that I was trying to go to the artist and buy the painting out from under her. So she really didn't want to get, well I explained to her what it was about that I'm interested in learning to paint and I like this person's painting enough that I want to talk to them about would they be interested in training me to paint like that. So she said, well I'll give me your name and number and I'll, I'll tell the artist. She never said it was like, she never said I'll tell Virginia. She said I'll tell the artist. And if that person is interested, they will call you. She was very guarded to not say Virginia will call you or she. So I think that was sort of a protective thing. And the next thing, well, I don't know how long went by, but whatever happened, I got a call from Virginia. And so she she does she did train people in the past, and I was in for 140 a month. I was in. So one of the um, one of the comments that you receive a lot on your artwork you know I'm I'm the one who takes photos of your paintings and I share them on Facebook is the word talented and how do you respond to that that you are so talented well I might have talents but it's not in the artwork it's not a painting but talent is, is something that you have no control of it's that you can do the thing that you're talented at and beyond the average person, way beyond the average person, in fact. If the average person is a six, you're up there. You're, you're breaking into ten if you're talented. But I don't have, I don't have, I don't really, I don't have any talent in the, in the painting world. I have uh, effort. Mm. I have a very poor memory. So for me, a lot of what I do is new all the time. So we know from early on, after you had the brain infection, your treatments were all completed, and we were trying to figure out, just like when you go in and you, somebody's had a hurricane or a tornado come through, that's what happened in your brain. And then so we, you come in and you find out what's, what is the damage done and how can, we, how can we repair it, can it be repaired, and where do we go from here? That's, that's what I'm hearing you're saying to me happened with the painting, is you were looking for another avenue of, of growth for yourself, that would, nobody's lives were dependent on that exactly. You didn't have to drive your car down to work and then go write insurance like you did. You weren't gonna make all these big mistakes because you didn't have the memory or the ability to put it together. We call that the executive functioning impairment. That's what you have which is not uncommon with people who have traumatic brain injuries. And so that's what you're saying, is that your memory is poor, but also your ability to go one, two, three, to continue to follow the same rules or continue to do one thing after another. That's where your limitations have been for all of these years. But yet here you are, you've done this painting for all of these years, and that's where the effort comes in. Because over time, eventually, it's put together for you and you're able to do it. And that's what people are seeing today. Is that correct? Yes. They're seeing all the years of effort that you put in to learn, not just with Virginia, but all the other, the watching videos. I mean, how many of you still watch videos on painting? Yeah. And it reminds you, and you still do paintings and say, I don't know why I did that, because I didn't want to do that. I, I'm doing that because I've always done it. 
so you wanted to introduce something new, but you forgot that you wanted to introduce something new into your painting. Yeah, it's a little bit like visual jazz, you know, where I don't really don't, I don't, I'm not following the script or I'm not following the notes on a, on a, on a ledger, you know, that tells you this is an A sharp and this is a B, B flat. I'm not doing that, but just, it's more like jazz where I'm just, I'm more responding to the thing that I've already put on the canvas as if I'm building something new for the first time. And that's where the poor memory comes in. It's, it's a handicap, it's a total handicap. Because you would think that after 24 years, you'd have 24 years of cumulative experience to draw on. But I really don't. I only have about three weeks of cumulative experience to draw on because uh, some of the stuff is, in other words, uh, let me think of it this way. I usually start an endeavor and end the painting the same way. Almost as if I have never learned my lesson. I've never learned the lesson enough to apply it because when I begin to paint, I'm in the painting. I'm not drawing on the 18th year ago when I learned this thing or that thing or the 12th year ago when I learned how to do this better when I learned to make a better visual. So it's not it's not a symphony or a well-scripted country music song that I just wrote. It's more jazz. It's more uh, maybe free expression that begins to look like something. And if it, if it starts to look like something, then I can run with it. There are some false starts in there. Like if you went into a room where there were jazz players playing, it would sound like a cacophony, and you might have to leave. But to each one of them, they're contributing something to the whole. And then in the end, when they're finished, you could come back in a week, and they may have something that sounds really cool. Well, it's a little bit like that with the, with the painting. Not, not everything is uh, planned out. Mm -hmm. if, no, it, it's even worse than that. In fact, nothing is planned out. The only thing that's the only thing that I, I would ever start with that would be a repetitive plan that is successful would be things like the golden section or realizing that a, a form has to be turned. In fact, every form has to be turned, or else you can't see anything. So that's a little so so I get a little bit stuck on stuff like that. And that's always been true since you started painting. So that, you know, highlights, you know, the cognitive yeah. impairment for you. Um, but you persevere nonetheless, which I, I always have found to be a magical part of who you are as a person. And I, when I think about how many people right now with, you know, having experienced this virus COVID-19 and the devastation to their bodies and probably to their brains, how long they'll be dealing with the change in their lives, right? Because it was a dramatic change in our life when you got sick. And, and yet, I would say if I would put the term success on how you lived your life, which is a model for me, instead of wallowing in grief, we moved forward, sometimes because we simply had to, right? Because food has to go on the table and 
I had to do whatever the things that I had to do, but this is about you. So we won't delve into the things that I had to do, but you had to be a model unknowingly for me, I think, but, but it was more for the kids. You wanted the kids to, to see that just because this thing happened, didn't mean that you were going to sit on a chair all day and do nothing when they came home that you, that they would see you doing things that were felt important to you. And if they're important to you, then they're like any family member. If it's important to you, then it's, it's important to your family members, people who care about you. What kind of a, what kind of thoughts could you share with people who post COVID infection for their lives going forward? Well, one, I would add one thing to that about what you submitted. It was for you also, because, um, you know, it was just the four of us on the team. Mm -hmm. So it, it was also for you that you have to see, you know, the guy that, you know, you have to see some effort. You have to see some desire to climb out of that hole you're in. So if you get, if you get, if you get knocked on your ass by something like the COVID virus and, you know, it, the COVID-19 is beyond the common flu. It's, it's not the flu. If you survive the COVID-19, you, you, you have a major insult to your body. If you're disabled as a result of it, and you have to climb out of that hole, then um, are you asking me f for, for advice on people on, on how they would do that? Or, or? Yeah, I'm asking you for... Um, thoughts on how people internally in their, in their minds, you know, how they can absorb what happened to them. Like they could be experiencing, say, a lot of grief, right? Because you had the life that you have and now you have this different life that you have now. How, how did that, you know, so long ago, and I know your memory, you know, I know you'll struggle with your memory for this, but how, how did you combat that feelings of grief or what was and now what you have? Well, the yeah, second part of that is, is much closer to the reality. It's what it was and where am I going? I'm not well acquainted with grief. I'm not just, I just don't go there. It's just I don't own any grief and we're just not well acquainted. If something happens as it did, I, I don't, the grief, if it exists, skips off me like, a, like I'm bulletproof. Yeah, it's just, it's just the way I am. I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in grief. I understand it that people grieve, but I, I did make a conscious choice to not grieve. But also, it was like the easiest choice to make. I'm not, I'm not gonna spend any time grieving. I got, I got responsibilities. I got things I have to do. I have to get up off my ass. I have to get up off the ground. I've been knocked down. You have to get upright and continue. There's no other choice. That's the only thing. It's not a choice. It's beyond the choice. It's like a biological imperative. You've been knocked it down. You have to get up. Struggle to get up. And get up right and keep moving. I think that's it right there. I think that's what... I think that's what you have to share with people who would be experiencing... Well, you know, thank God the recovery, they would be in a recovery from COVID. They didn't um, succumb to COVID. And for any, any tragedy that happens in people's lives to their own bodies, 
is to is to get up and continue. All right. Well, I think I'm going to end our our interview here. I, I appreciate you sharing with others your perspective on painting, what it's done for you, and how to move forward. We didn't even talk about ALS, so maybe we'll do that some other time. All right. Thank you. Until the next time.